where common sense, honest conversation, and thought-provoking discussions thrive in a completely independent forum. This is the Roundup Podcast. I'll be the first to admit that I love a little bit of Roundup in my life. Roundup in my life. Here now is your host. He is quite a character. His name is Jeff. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff. Jeff Eager. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Oregon Roundup Podcast. This is your host, Jeff Eager, coming to you from an extremely frigid Bend, Oregon. I'm recording at around 12.30 p.m. on Thursday, December 22nd, three days before Christmas. When I got up this morning, it was four degrees. Driving here to the studio just now, it was six degrees It's cold. It's that kind of cold when you inhale, your lungs feel like they're they're freezing inside, which is kind of an unusual feeling. I've always tried to figure out what the temperature threshold is for that feeling. The feeling as though the whatever those air sacs are called in your in your lungs are actually freezing. I would guess it's around fifteen degrees. Anything below fifteen degrees, maybe you get that feeling on inhale. And that's something that we who live in the Mountain West get to enjoy. wonder if people in Florida, Southern California, other warm climates never get to experience the feeling of the inside of their lungs freezing upon inhale. That's just a digression. I hope you are doing well. It's nearly Christmas. You are probably listening to this Friday, two days before Christmas or potentially over Christmas weekend. And I hope that you and your family are safe and together and enjoying the holiday. Hope you get everything you asked for for Christmas. I think most folks who listen to this know we have an eight and a six-year-old and they are both boys ecstatic about Christmas as boys that age and girls too tend to be. Very excited that's about what Santa may or may not be bringing them. They have increasing anxiety over the question of whether they are on the nice or the naughty list, which we are using with maximum leverage as the day approaches to remind them that Santa Claus is still maintaining those lists and that they are still open to change up until the last minute. So as parents, as many of you know, We use whatever leverage is available to us at the time, and Christmas offers a certain degree of that leverage. A few things to talk about today on the more substantive note. I wanted to talk a little bit about that Ted Wheeler piece that I sent out this morning. I wanted to talk about the fact that Oregon lost population between July of 21 and July of 22, and news that came out just this morning from the Census Bureau and some other interesting tidbits from that report from Census. And then wanted to talk a little bit about some news out of the Oregon Secretary of State and the Elections Division and a likely separate but possibly connected series of developments regarding a contribution to the Oregon Democrat Party from someone who is formerly worked with Sam Bankman fried who's the who was the CEO of FTX which does something with regard to or did something with regard to cryptocurrency which I do not understand but as you've maybe heard Bankman fried was arrested he got out this morning on bail 
he and his company and various associates are being charged by the feds with fraud because apparently they took some money from investors and didn't use it in the way they were supposed to. A little bit more on that here coming up. But first, let's talk about this census report. This per the Wall Street Journal, America's population grew 0.4% this year. Census Bureau figures released Thursday show continuing historically slow growth that has added pressure to a tight labor market. The slight uptick in the third year of the pandemic was still greater than the unprecedented low rate of 0.1% recorded in 2021. The U.S. added 1.3 million people in the year that ended July 1, so July 1 of 2022, for a total population of 333.3 million people. That includes 245,000 more births than deaths, a surplus that has long supplied much of the nation's growth. The other component, which measures people moving in and out of the country, grew by 1 million. And population growth nationally has been slowed by the, by the pandemic. So nationally, what's happened is that the pandemic in part, but there are other factors too, I think, population growth has ground to a near halt in recent years. And that's in part because people have died from COVID, in part because people have died from other things. I saw some statistics the other day about how the what they call excess deaths, the number of deaths that exceed what we would expect to occur in a given period of time remain high in 2022. A lot of that's attributed to the pandemic still, although I wonder, and this is really speculation on my part, whether that's actually the case. You know, certainly some people still have COVID, some people are still dying from COVID, but it seems unusual to me that we would still have a lingering effect demographically in terms of excess deaths this long after most of the pandemic has kind of gone away. It's possible. Again, I'm no expert about that. You know, relatedly, I saw a statistic this morning that Americans' life expectancy continues to fall. And now it is lower than it's been since any time since 2006. So that is to say that this long march we've had, at least in through the late 20th century into the early part of the 21st century, where Americans that are born now can expect to live longer than Americans who were born a while back, that has changed and that has has reversed. You know, certainly for someone who is born today, they're unlikely to die from COVID, but they're much more likely, based on more recent experience that we've had, to die from drug overdose and other things that are killing people early. And my understanding is that drug overdose is really one of those leading causes of increased death rates, life expectancy, because it kills people young to a large degree. Certainly a lot going on demographically with the United States. Also of interest are the state numbers. 18 states lost population led by New York, which lost 0.9%. Illinois lost 0.8%. And Louisiana at negative 0.8%. California, the nation's most populous state, saw a decline of 0.3%. California had not lost population until the pandemic. Some of the big gainers in terms of states, Florida gained a net of 444,000 people 
or more than 1,200 a day as the top gainer, followed by Texas, North Carolina, and South Carolina. California lost 218,000. New York lost 222,000. And Illinois lost 110,000. Oregon had a net negative migration of 17,000 people between July 1, 2021 and July 1, 2022. It certainly fits into the pattern that if you look at these states that are losing that are losing population, they tend to be, quite frankly, blue states and states that lock down hard during the pandemic, states that where it tends to be more expensive to live than in other states in part due to the regulatory nature of those states that lean heavily upon land use and other regulations that drive up the cost of living. Oregon, California, prime examples of those, but also New York, Illinois, and other blue states. There are some outliers. Louisiana is not a blue state. I don't really know what's going on with that. It seems like they've been losing population pretty consistently since Hurricane Katrina, so that may be an effect. But you have states like, when you're talking about in our neighborhood here in the Pacific Northwest, Idaho's gaining a lot of people, Montana's gaining a lot of people, Washington even gained a decent number of people. But states like Oregon and California are are losing people. There's some significant downsides of that. Josh Lenner, L-E-H-N-E-R, who is a state economist for the state of Oregon, tweeted out this morning in response to the population news in Oregon losing 17,000 folks, that this is a two or three alarm economic alert for the state of Oregon because it deprives the state of much needed workers, that we are we are actually losing losing folks. And he observed that if that trend continues in the coming years, it's going to become a five alarm economic alert for the state of Oregon. Leonard obviously is in the employee of the state of Oregon. He's not in the business of saying things that are overly alarmist, but it's clear that even he thinks that this is a problem for the state. Why would Oregon be losing people? Well, I think it's very difficult to argue that it's not related to the way that our state locked down during COVID. You know, people weren't able to send their kids to school for a long time. People weren't able to operate their businesses for some period of time in many cases couldn't go to the gym, couldn't go to the swimming pool, couldn't live normal lives for an extended period of time. And people got fed up with that. If you think about back in July of 2021, when this kind of statistical period began, we were still just coming out of a lot of that. And we were still under a lot of those restrictions in Oregon. And just anecdotally, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of people who left kind of in that in the last year, fed up with the pandemic and fed up with other governance issues in the state of Oregon. Another factor that has to be coming into play here is the fact that it's so stinking expensive to live in Oregon now. Like we've kind of our our economy, especially in places like Bend, but also Portland, Portland suburbs, Hood River, Ashland and a few other pockets around the state has been driven by the fact that, you know, these are relatively nice places to live for the most part. They're cheaper than real estate markets in California and the big cities and Seattle and other other markets where people were bailing out to come here. And I've always wondered kind of what happens when our real estate market becomes as expensive or close to as expensive as our feeder markets. And maybe we've gotten there now during the pandemic as people were bailing out of these bigger cities 
that were even more locked down than we were coming to places like Bend. Our real estate market just went absolutely crazy. I saw a statistic recently that the median home price in Bend is now over $700,000. And there's just not jobs to support that here. And so it's a lot of people cashing out from other markets, predominantly in California and Washington, to come here. But at some point, that there's going to be an equilibrium reached. And maybe we've reached that equilibrium where you can't afford more house when you come to some parts of Oregon once you sell in other parts of the country. And people are looking elsewhere now. And that's drawing people to places like Idaho and Montana, some parts of which are less expensive than parts of Oregon, certainly Florida or Texas. You know, if you've ever watched real estate shows on HGTV or somewhere else, or if you've, you know, looked casually at real estate markets in other parts of the country, you realize very quickly that we pay a significant premium here in Oregon, especially relative to the wages that people make. There's a lot of factors, I think, that that have contributed to this. It's going to have all kinds of impacts. The fact that Oregon is losing population now could have all kinds of impacts, not just economically, as we as we discussed, but also politically. I mean, Oregon just got and barely got a sixth house district in the most recent, recent redistricting. It wouldn't take much if our population decline continues for us to lose that again when there's another redistricting in 2030. And for seats that States like Oregon, if it continues to lose population, lose going to states like Florida, states like Idaho, states like Montana that are growing quickly still. And so Oregon, it's been a while, you know, I guess since the Great Recession, since we were really draining population. And there's all kinds of ramifications of that economically and politically. And certainly that's that's something to keep an eye on. Again, it's, you know, probably speaking to the choir here for the most part, but it's another argument for reversing policy trends that we've seen in Oregon. Those policy trends being to enlarge government at the expense of people, driving up the cost of living, regulating the ever-living bejesus out of people in small businesses, you know, that kind of regulatory environment was highlighted during the pandemic when we had such strict lockdowns here in Oregon. But it, it also impacts every aspect of our economy. We can't keep raising taxes to make it even more expensive for people to live here. That's, I'm sure, exactly what the legislature is going to look at doing because of the, the budget stuff that we're going to be we're going to be dealing with here in the next year, as we've talked about. Before, So it's a call to action to get the livability and the homelessness and the crime under control, which is something that is, you know, if you read my piece on Ted Wheeler this morning, the mayor of Portland, he's got some good stuff going up there. I think he's he's seen the need to change the way that that city's been governed. And we're going to need more of that kind of approach to make sure that Oregon is a place that people want to and can afford to live long term or we're going to continue to lose population. There is definitely a nexus in my mind between public policy in the state of Oregon and whether people want to live here or not. You know, we're certainly experimenting with the outer edges of whether, you know, this kind of progressive policy trend that we're on, how much will people put up with? How much can they afford to put up with? You know, are they willing to endure kind of the rampant homelessness that we have in a lot of our cities? in exchange for the knowledge that you know, people are in Oregon as much as any other state in the union allowed to sleep on the streets of cities if that's what they want to do. So a lot of policy implications for that. 
we'll see if that changes. I'm not hopeful in the near term. Tina Kotek almost certainly will continue to pursue the progressive policies that she's helped to implement while she was Speaker of the of the House. Next up, the Oregon Secretary of State Elections Division. So this is kind of a mushing together two things that may or may not be connected, but I'm going to do that anyway. The Oregon Secretary of State's office is divided up into a number of divisions, including like the corporations division, which is where you file like your business stuff. I think there's an audit division of the Secretary of State's office. And there's the elections division of the Oregon Secretary of State's office. The election division of the Oregon State Secretary of State's office does what you might imagine from its name. It manages the elections in the state of Oregon. It certifies elections at the state level. It kind of works with county clerks to compile all the voting and to get the ballots out and produce a voter pamphlet for people to read or just throw away when they get their ballots. And so it manages elections. So you may have seen in the last couple of weeks some news that the Oregon elections director, Deborah Scroggin, resign from her office, citing extraordinarily challenging time for election officials. And this was, of course, interpreted by many and I think intended to be a a shot at what is commonly called election deniers and whatnot. And the idea being that people who are election deniers are making life so difficult for elections officials that they just can't continue in their job. Well, it turns out in a story that was that came out from Willamette Week a week ago or so that I had missed until this morning. Scroggin was forced out of her job. She was asked to resign by her boss, who is Secretary of State Shamia Fagan. Shamia Fagan is, of course, a Democrat. Long thought to have wider ambitions statewide, relatively young, up-and-comer in the Democrat Party of Oregon. She asked for Scroggin's Scroggins' resignation, that wasn't included in the original Associated Press article, which just cited the concerns about the election deniers. And so the question would be then, why did Fagan ask Scroggins to resign? Officially, Fagan's office says that Fagan wants to ensure that the elections division is a customer service-oriented agency and that Scroggins pushed back against that desire at every opportunity. No, I don't think that's probably what really happened here. How can an elections division be customer service oriented versus not customer service oriented? It's not the kind of agency where people come in and and ask for help consistently. It's not the DMV, for example. Surely the elections division does get requests from Oregon residents to correct certain things about elections. It does get customer requests, customer interests that they must respond to. That explanation just doesn't ring true or at least complete to me. So one wonders what else is going on there. Certainly I don't I don't know. And hopefully there'll be more reporting on that fact. And Scroggins, you would think, may have an incentive to talk, given that she was kind of forced out of her job. And maybe she has more to say about that. And hopefully those questions will be asked of her when the, when the time comes up. Another item related to the Oregon Secretary of State's office and the Elections Division is it's something I've been working on for a little while here. And I'm not not done working on it. I still have some work to do on it, but I'll probably be writing about it at some point. So I'll give you a little preview. In October of 2022, 
at the height of the gubernatorial election between Tina Kotek and Christine Drazen, the Oregon Democratic Party reported a $500,000 donation from an entity, and a Nevada entity, called Living Trust LLC. Living Trust LLC is an actual business in Nevada that helps, I think, investment firms do their required reporting, et cetera. And it had given, according to this initial report, 500 grand to the Oregon Democrat Party. The Oregon Democrat Party turned around and used that money in part, at least, to help Tina Kotek. They sent out some mailers going after Christine Drazen in the final days of the campaign. It was... I believe the single largest donation to the Oregon Democrat Party in 2022. So not a small amount of money. And it turned out that the donation didn't really come from a Living Trust LLC. The donation came, as we later found out, from an individual named Nishad Singh, S-I-N-G-H, who was the vice president of a company called FTX. FTX is a company that the CEO of which is this Bankman-Fried character I talked about in the opening. And Bankman-Fried, as I mentioned, he was arrested recently, just released on, on bail. And he and his associates, including Singh, are under investigation for fraud, for taking investors' money and doing things inappropriate with it. One of the things they did, both in Bankman-Fried's own name and in the name of his company and in the name of associates like Singh, was give a whole lot of money to political candidates and committees trying to elect political candidates, including this $500,000 to the Democrat Party of Oregon. The donations overall were overwhelmingly to Democrats. There was some given to Republicans, but kind of at least a nine to one margin in favor of Democrats. And certainly here in Oregon, that's where the, where the money went. The Oregonian got wind of the fact that there was some issue with original living trust port from Democrat Party of Oregon. So they started calling asking for comment. Democrat Party of Oregon, toward the, the beginning of November, amended their filing to show that the donation was really from Singh, not from Living Trust. From there, the Oregon State Elections Division begins an investigation into whether there was criminal fraud that was committed by Singh or Living Trust or the Democrat Party of Oregon in misreporting the initial contribution as coming from a party that it didn't really come from. Not surprisingly, Shamia Fagan's Secretary of State's office has not prioritized investigating this matter. It's been over a month now, has still been no criminal referral or other action taken by the elections division. And the Fagan's office is saying things like, well, Fagan even though she's been supported heavily by the Democrat Party of Oregon, has no conflict of interest here. Or she might have a conflict, but she's farmed this out to someone who works in the elections division, who's a non-political player. And that coincides, of course, and may have nothing to do with the fact that Fagan just forced out the director of the elections division. Uh, but it just goes to show you that there's no such thing as an apolitical person or department within the secretary of state's office. So what we have right now is we have a Democrat, a partisan Democrat, running the Secretary of State's office that is supposedly investigating whether the Democrat Party of Oregon did anything wrong when it, intentionally wrong, when it misreported a $500,000 donation that was used in part to help elect Tina Kotek in 2022. 
And during that time that the investigation is allegedly occurring, Fagan forces out the elections division director. Maybe completely unrelated, maybe not, but I, I think there's more to this story. There's certainly more to the story of this contribution from, from Singh and the, the miss reporting of it, especially because there was a there was a related issue. And if you really want to get into some weird stuff, read about the donations from Living Trust, allegedly from Living Trust, and eventually from Singh to this super PAC that was trying to elect this guy named Carrick Flynn, who was a young guy running in Oregon's new sixth congressional district in 2022. Singh and FTX and people related to FTX, which is, again, this cryptocurrency fraud operation, gave this super PAC something like $10 million, more than $10 million, to help elect this Carrick Flynn guy that no one really had ever heard of in Oregon politics before he started to run for Congress in the 6th District. The reason why they did that, you get into this thing called, you know, <laughs> Flynn is, is something of an academic of sorts who does work in the in kind of pandemic preparedness and this theory along efficient altruism, I think is what they call it, where there's these folks who think that, you know, rich people ought to give money in such a way that helps to in an efficient way that helps to do certain things to improve human human existence. And one of those things is pandemic preparedness. Flynn has written about pandemic preparedness going forward, and Bankman-Fried has supported things like that. And it appears that that mutual interest in future pandemic preparedness led Bankman-Fried and his buddies to contribute over $10 million to the super PAC to try to get Flynn elected. Flynn loses in the in the primary, but before he loses in the primary, all the other Democrats who were in that primary held a held a press conference and said, "Well, hold on, why are these guys trying to buy this election? Including why does this Bankman Freed guy? Why is he trying to buy this election?" And at the time, Bankman Freed wasn't under investigation for fraud that we know of, and he was just kind of thought as an odd cryptocurrency guy, not a potential felon. At the time. There was one or more of the large donations to the super PAC was misreported as a, as a donation by Living Trust LLC when it was, in fact, from one of these individuals who worked with FTX. So you had the same fact pattern there where there was a misreporting by this super PAC from the, the Flynn campaign itself saying that this donation was from Living Trust LLC. That disclosure was later amended to show that it was, in fact, from an individual associated with FTX. That had all happened before, well before. This was in the primary in spring of 22. That had happened well before this issue came up with the Democrat Party of Oregon reporting that it had received $500,000 from this same thing, Living Trust LLC, and then was later forced to change its reporting. There's a lot more to this story, and like I said, I'm working on trying to learn some more about it. I think I will be writing about it, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit in the context of this news coming out of the Secretary of State Elections Division and kind of the, the timing of these things happening in the way that they were. In any event, hopefully whoever Fagan chooses to be the next Elections Division director is able to persevere through the very difficult times we have for people to count votes, even though the 2022 election in Oregon and really pretty much everywhere else other than potentially Arizona 
the midterms went off without a hitch. So it's not clear to me why that's such a, uh, a stressful thing for elections division directors to go through. So keep an eye on both of those stories. I will have more on it, trying to do some investigation, I guess, is what I'm doing, because I think there's something there. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but you'll hear more from me on that. That's all I've got for today. Hope you all have a great Christmas. I am planning to record another episode between Christmas and New Year's, so you can look forward to or dread that. Really enjoyed doing the interview with Lori Chavez Dreamer last week. I'm planning and hoping to do more interviews in the future. Hope you enjoyed it as well. Probably, at least for now, we'll continue to mix in the just Jeff Eager prattling on endlessly episodes with interview episodes. As always, if you have comments or thoughts, leave them in the comments section. Go ahead and subscribe to this puppy on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Leave reviews there. Give give the podcast as many stars as you think it warrants, plus some. You can always email me with your own thoughts at jeff, J-E-F-F, at eagerlawpc.com, and that's E-A-G-E-R-L-A-W-P-C.com. Would love to hear from you. Thank you to Stacey Hoblitzel, who does an excellent job producing and editing this podcast and makes it sound much better than it did when I was doing this in front of my computer in my office. Have a great Christmas. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the Roundup Podcast. To share your thoughts with Jeff, you can email him at jeff at oregonroundup.com. You can also subscribe to his newsletter at oregonroundup.substack.com.